You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. I'm delighted that our guest today on Preaching Source is Dr. Danny Aiken. Uh, He has been the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, For the past 15 years, Uh, prior to that, though, he has held uh, teaching positions in several of our Southern Baptist institutions. Uh, He's taught at Criswell College. He taught at Southeastern, then was eight years at Southern Seminary in Louisville, and now back at Southeastern as its president since 2004. He is an accomplished uh, preacher and teacher. Uh, Danny, welcome to Preaching Source. Well, Barry, thank you. I'm very honored to be here, and good to be back on the campus of my alma mater. Uh, now, uh, you've, you've done lots of things that preachers do. You've, uh, well, you've served in, in uh, uh, local ministry. Uh, you've also been a professor, a preacher, but one of the things that I've found uh, fascinating about you is that I think for something like 21 years, you taught Wednesday night Bible studies in the, in local churches, and so I'd, I'd like to talk to you about uh, teaching in the local church. Uh, over that span of time, what differences have you noticed that distinguish preaching from uh, teaching in the church, something like a Wednesday night Bible study? What, what are the differences, and uh, what are the different challenges and advantages? What, what's the difference there? Well, for me, it's actually uh, changed over time. When I first started, Kevin Ezell was my pastor at Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, and he approached me about being the Wednesday night Bible teacher. He said it would free me up to do things on Wednesday night, and I would love to have you teaching regularly to our people because, unfortunately, I was gone on most Sundays preaching somewhere. And so there we had kind of a a small-scaled worship service. So it was in the main auditorium. We would do music, uh, we would have a prayer time, and then I would teach for 40 or or 45 minutes. And that's how that went for the whole seven years that I was there. Then when I moved uh, to Southeastern, I came to Wake Crossroads Baptist Church, had the same uh, form and pattern initially, and then because of some adjustments in scheduling and things that we did, uh, it moved to a smaller setting uh, where we didn't do any music, that we would come in, we would have a prayer time, always prayed, which I thanked God for, the nations. In fact, we followed uh, the Joshua Project's daily uh, people group of the day, pray for our church, and then I would get up and teach from 45 minutes to an hour to a smaller group. I, I've done Wednesday nights where there were three or 400 people there, and I've done Wednesday nights when there were 10 to 15 people there. And for me, uh, Barry, I prepared exactly the same way for both. I, I always spent somewhere between 10 and 15 hours uh, preparing, and obviously I changed the delivery to a smaller group as opposed to being in a big auditorium. Uh, there's a different dynamic, and if you're not sent to that, I mean, if you go into a smaller classroom and take your Bible and turn, and <laughs> it's just going to come across a little strange, and it's uh, probably not going to work very well. So I adjusted uh, in terms of the delivery, but not the content. Okay. Now, is, uh, you're, you're one of the co-authors of 
of text-driven preaching yes. and, and a, a teacher and a proponent of text and a practitioner of text-driven preaching. Is there anything about the exegetical process that you do differently for, say, a Wednesday night Bible study uh, than you would for, say, a Sunday morning sermon? No. Okay. Uh, it stayed the same all the way through. Now, what I would deliver would be a little bit different because, one, I was given 45 minutes to an hour uh, uh, on Wednesday nights, and normally uh, in a local church, it's more like 30 to 40 minutes. Secondly, you have people there, for the most part, that uh, are very serious Bible students, and they've been Christians for quite a while. Now, we would have new believers that would attend as well. In fact, it's interesting, when I was at Highview, I've had a lot of guys that I have met over the years that said, you know, I got saved at Highview, and I started coming to your Wednesday night. I remember you going through verse by verse the book of Revelation, and I fell in love with the Bible, and God used that as the impetus to call me into the ministry. And so I discovered that that, and I didn't even know they were there, and I didn't know that they were new believers. But I do take that the Wednesday night crowd uh, is probably a little bit more knowledgeable of the Scriptures. And so I will deal with some issues, some technical issues, as well as some theological issues on a little bit more depth that I might not do on a, on a Sunday morning. And I, and I would also, uh, at least when it got smaller, uh, I would open it up for questions and let them engage in conversations so that, again, I was serving them uh, in the very best way that I could. And I've enjoyed every uh, form, e- each of those different ways of doing it. I personally found uh, joyful and fulfilling, but as far as preparation, uh, it was the same. Mm. You know, every preacher knows the iceberg principle that that the visible part of the iceberg is only a tenth of what float, and 90% of it is below the water. Uh, so all of us, you know, share only a little bit of what we prepare. So what I'm hearing you say is on Wednesday night, sometimes you can get a little, you can let a little more of the iceberg show. Uh, uh, I used the analogy, the uh, you almost always have, you should have more in your warehouse ah. than you put in your show window. <laughs> I love that. But on Wednesday nights, <laughs> I discovered I could put a few more items into the show window and, and it was fine. Then again, um, when it was a smaller group, if uh, I sensed that maybe they did not uh, readily, readily grasp what I was saying, I would ask, is there a question? Does this make sense to you? I, I went through the book of Daniel uh, on Wednesday nights, and uh, you get to uh, chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And I'll just be honest with you, Barry, th- those are very, very, very difficult passages, especially 11, which has basically an apocalyptic run through uh, Israel's history. And that's not, I'd say, first of all, that'd be hard to preach uh, in a certain way on Sunday morning. Uh, It was a challenge on Wednesday nights. But what I would also do is I would give out to them rather detailed notes so that they then had not my full manuscript, but a significant portion that would allow them then to follow along. And I would always ask, is this helpful to you all? And almost, of course, without exception, they would say, yes, uh, very helpful, not only to follow with you as you're going through it, but then to go back home and reflect later and go back through it again. Because, again, we all know that repetition is a wonderful teacher. And sometimes we probably deceive ourselves into thinking uh, the folks we're preaching to, they got it all. No, uh, if they got 10%, you probably did well. But I've learned this. If you give them something to look at while they're hearing you, retention goes way up. 
And secondly, they have it for further referencing as well. And so I would do that. But you can even do that to some level on a Sunday morning. Now, you referred to your manuscript. Yes. How, how do you uh, prepare for preaching and teaching? I mean, do you write a manuscript? And when you step up into the platform or the lectern, the pulpit, do, I mean, do you have notes or your manuscript or what? How, what mechanically, how do you offload your content in the delivery? Well, let me say, first of all, I was trained uh, to preach uh, expository sermons without notes. And uh, I'm still a big fan of that. However, I have come to the conviction you ought to do what works well for you. Uh, some guys are not very good with a manuscript. Some guys are not very good without a manuscript. And different uh, um, situations, I think, can require different uh, forms of delivery and what you have available. So, for example, uh, and partly, uh, Barry, because over the last uh, decade, I have been involved in writing, for lack of a better term, sermon books or sermon commentaries. I'm one of the editors of the Christ-Centered Exposition, and uh, I, I, I will be honest with you, uh, going backwards because I did that easier, Revelation, Jude, the Epistles of John, uh, Titus, Mark, I did all of those on Wednesday night, every one of those over on Wednesday night. And so I prepared a very in-depth manuscript with a view to the fact that it was going to eventually uh, wind up in, in a book. And so that did change to some extent the way that I prepared. If I go back earlier in my life, I would prepare notes, but they would be more like cleft notes, uh, key ideas and things of that nature. Now, what I do, though, is I mark up my manuscript and even though I know this is going to be in a book somewhere at some time, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to share all of that information uh, in a uh, sermon or in a, a teaching time. And so I would highlight uh, the manuscript, but I would usually have that manuscript there with me uh, as I was working through because I was kind of approaching it on Wednesday nights. Uh, I believe all good preaching has teaching, all good teaching has preaching, but I was more doing the teacher-preacher as opposed to the preacher-teacher, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I talk to a lot of really good preachers who practice the discipline of writing a manuscript, and I, I know very few of them who heavily use the manuscript in the pulpit, but what I hear from them is that the discipline of writing the manuscript then gives them the freedom to use something lesser. In fact, I know some guys write a manuscript and then use no notes, but the discipline of having written it forms their their... Is that absolutely ring true for you? Yeah, I, my retention uh, is significantly increased when I take the time and the discipline to write out a, a full uh, manuscript. I, I just do. And, and one of the things I'd, I'd point out, just as an aside, is I try to separate writing my introduction my body, and my conclusion uh, for this reason. I want to write an introduction that is going to grab their attention and draw them into, well, I, this is why you should listen to what I'm about to explain from this text of Scripture. So I want to make sure I write a good introduction and not sort of a haphazard one. But even more so, the conclusion. What I've discovered is by the time I get through my full manuscript in terms of the body, I'm tired. 
And it's very easy to be tempted just to tag on kind of a lick and a promise conclusion. And I can remember Stephen Olford, one of my heroes, saying more sermons crash at the conclusion than anywhere else. He said they take off wonderfully well, they fly beautifully, and then they crash at the end. And so I will set time aside. I'll walk away, whether it's for 30 minutes, an hour, or wait till the next day. And then I will come back, and based upon that manuscript, where I hopefully have been a faithful expositor, I will then craft my conclusion so that I've thought about it, I'm rested when I write it, and I think as a result of that, uh, I write better conclusions. And that doesn't mean, Barry, it's a long one. It may be that I discover, you know, I can say what needs to be said at the end of this message in two or three sentences. Sometimes uh, it'll be longer with with a, a concluding story or maybe a striking statement or something like that. But I also try to vary. So I don't want my um, conclusions or my introductions to become just sort of rote where, yeah, he's always going to start the same way and he's going to always end the same way. No, I really try to let the text determine how I begin and let the text determine how I end as well. Now, you mentioned sometimes taking questions, uh, and a lot of uh, teachers wonder, well, should I use mostly lecture or uh, mostly discussion or some combination? Give us some guidance on on the preacher who's thinking about, you know, how much discussion, if any, should he have? Well, I'm still going to do more lecture or more preaching because I believe the primary means that God builds up and edifies his church is through the clear proclamation and exposition of the word of God. And so I'm going to always let that be the the predominant um, uh, mode and take the predominance of time when I teach the Bible. But at appropriate times and with appropriate audiences, I may take questions at the end, or I may go through a section and say, all right, let's stop for a moment. you have any questions about what we just talked about as it pertains to these verses? And I'm not one to, like, wait for a long time with silence. In fact, I'll often say, okay, folks, going once, going twice, three times gone, let's move to the next point. And I just say, look, if you have a question, I'm going to engage it, but I'm not going to pressure you. We don't ha- you don't have to ask questions. I'm not going to try to make you, f- oh, I've got to come up with a question or he's not going to go on. No, if you don't have any questions, we're going to honor the time and we'll move on. And so I will approach it in that, in that kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny, uh, most pastors uh, have the advantage of a, a really solid theological and biblical education, and so they're, they're especially equipped, not just for the pulpit, but also for the lectern. Um, but they have an advantage most lay people don't. How, how does a pastor educate his teaching lay people in the congregation? How does he pass along some of that so that they're better equipped as Bible teachers? That is a great question, Barry. And here's what I uh, say to my students in preaching. You should model from the pulpit what you hope and pray your people will do in their Bible studies. In other words, that's why I'm not a fan of topical preaching because I don't know how to replicate that well. I don't. But if you are just a verse-by-verse expositor, just walking through books of the Bible, as I, I often say chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse, phrase-by-phrase, word-by-word. And if you're doing that week after week after week after week after week, you are modeling for your people what you hope that they will do in both their study 
and also when they teach the Bible as well. And so I believe that one of the primary means of teaching your people how to teach the Bible is modeling it for you. In fact, I tell my students all the time, I said, let me ask you to ask a question. If your people were to handle the Bible week after week the way you do, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? And what I've discovered is even if you're not a phenomenal communicator, if you are faithful to teach the infallible and inerrant word of God, God promises to honor his word. And so I would, as I often say, I'd rather have someone say something not so well than to speak really well, but say nothing. Now, it doesn't have to be that either or. We should be committed to saying something good in a good way. And so we should all work to hone and develop our skills as communicators. And we can always grow. We can always get better. But the bottom line is you teach faithfully the Word of God, and God will honor it, and you will model for your people the way that you hope they will. And so one of the things I will do, Barry, is I will talk about, now this raises a good interpretive, we call it hermeneutics, but I say a good interpretive question. And remember, we're always asking of a text, when, where, why, and how. We're always asking those questions, all right? And so I will do that to help them think through that. And then also I try to recommend to them good resources. Most of our lay people they don't know what's a good commentary as opposed to a bad one. In fact, some of them don't even know what a commentary is. And so I will bring books in and say, as I've been working through um, the Song of Solomon, these are four or five books that I have found really, really helpful, and I would commend these to you if you want to do further research, and I will show them those uh, particular books. Hmm. Uh I've done my share of topical sermons through the years, uh, sometimes for good reasons and sometimes I for understand. not so good reasons. I've, I've noticed that in, in, as I, I don't do many topical sermons these days, but I've noticed when to, uh, preaching topical sermons that uh, people tend to spend most of their time looking at you. Well, okay, that's because that's where the ideas are coming from. But I found in text-driven preaching, more times I see them with their heads down. And that's what a compliment. their own Bibles. Absolutely. Uh, so that's, I, I, that's what I'm hearing you affirm in, in strong and, terms. And, and what you're saying there is we're pointing them to the proper authority. We're not the ultimate authority. Our authority only resides in us to the degree that we are a faithful proclaimer of God's word. Anything apart from that, we have no authority. But ultimately, their authority is God's word. So I love that. When I see people looking down, when I say, look at verse 3, and all the heads go down. First of all, I'm a visiting preacher almost everywhere I go on Sundays. But I know this pastor is doing a good job to teach their, his people their authority is God's word. Wow. That's a great note to end on. Uh, we have been talking with Dr. Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and uh, a co-author, among other things, of text-driven preaching. And so, uh, by the way, we use you every year in our preaching classes here, you and your other co-authors of that great well, David textbook. David Allen, who teaches preaching here. On and uh, who you, uh, I think you guys went to UTA and did your PhDs about we the same time. We went to time. college together, seminary together, and did our PhDs together. Wow. And God gave us a precious friendship that has now gone almost 40 years. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm a little less. I think our friendship has been about 30-some years. Yes, it has uh, been. But, uh, Absolutely. What a joy to have you here today. Thank you for coming, Danny. Thank you, Barry.